If you or someone you know would like to learn more or get involved in any of our research projects, please visit our website at sepsis.ubc.ca. UBC's Action on Sepsis podcast series focuses on telling the whole journey of sepsis from the perspective of the patient, with input from healthcare workers, researchers, and other individuals advocating for improved sepsis care nationally and globally. Now, join Christine Russell as she showcases a diverse collection of stories and shares knowledge from research and clinical fields to support learning so that we can help protect yourself and your loved ones. I am your host, Christine Russell, a sepsis survivor and a parent of a sepsis survivor. If you want to know more about my story, please go back and listen to Series 1. Throughout this series, you will hear from Dr. Bob Hancock, a leading microbiologist in Canada who has researched and taught at the University of British Columbia for nearly 40 years, and a registered nurse with a Master's of Nursing, Sarah Carrier, from the BC Patient Safety and Quality Council. We'll also be joined by two renowned leaders in patient-oriented research, from the BC Support Unit Research Services Lead, Larry Moraz, and Knowledge Translation Lead, Lynn Feehan. Today, we are kicking off Series 3 and are joined by fellow sepsis survivor, Shannon McKenney, who will tell us about her journey with sepsis. Welcome, Shannon. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about your story. I would have to start with, um, before I got sick, I was a very carefree, living life on 10, active, um, you know, nothing stopped me. And literally when I got sick, it still didn't stop me. Um, what I mean by that is uh, I got sick on a Saturday night at a dinner party and I just thought I had food poisoning. Um, so the next day I went to the hospital because uh, I could barely stand up straight. And um, they just said I had the flu. So, you know, uh, no big deal. I just went home and uh, I just started my, my dream job and uh, I had a major presentation that week. And so I went to work Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. I just passed out at my desk. And um, when I got to the hospital, it was about 11 in the morning. And you know how they would check you in and they check your vitals and everything. Didn't have a fever. The blood test came back. My white blood cells weren't even elevated. I sat in the emergency for, you know, seven hours, not knowing what was happening or what was making me sick. And the triage nurse, I credit her with saving my life because she checked me in and she was going home for the day and she saw that I was still sitting there. And so she went and grabbed a doctor and um, I had meanwhile had a, a CT scan with contrast. and. They couldn't tell if it was my right ovary or my appendix that had ruptured. And uh, as immediately she got the doctor, half an hour later, I was in surgery and my appendix had ruptured and I had severe peritonitis. So you had a ruptured appendix for four days? I don't know if I had a ruptured appendix for the four days. I definitely had appendicitis. I believe... Uh, my appendix ruptured on the Tuesday because I remember sitting at my desk and feeling a pop and 
I, and the pain actually went down and I'm like, this is bizarre. And I, I started smiling again. I started laughing and, uh, I thought, okay, the worst is over. And no, it just got worse from there. Like I was, I don't know how I got myself to work on the Wednesday, to be perfectly honest. Like I drove, you know? Oh gosh. Yeah. So it was insane. Like it just, that's how focused and, uh, I could power through anything. And this stopped me in my tracks and has ever since. Oh goodness. And so, after the surgery, then you, how long did you spend in the hospital? 10 days. Um, in fact, I guess I kind of want to draw attention to how little is um, known about sepsis in the, um, in general by the medical community, because uh, I was 10 days in the hospital and I remember the nurse being um agitated that I, my bowels hadn't woken up. I'm like, it's kind of not really up to me, <laughs> you know? Um, so th- that was, uh, that's how they let you go. It's like when your bowels are working, that's when you get released. And mine just weren't, and they still don't. And uh, I guess that's probably the biggest thing I, I, well, not one of the biggest things I struggle with to this day. Right. Okay, and then now we we move along, and 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 then the recovery from that one was was relatively normal, or or how how did we how did you progress from from that? I wouldn't say it. Um, I think I did try to go back to work. Um, by this point, I was getting. I've always had migraines. I've always had migraines since I was 12 years old. But at this point, it was, you know, if not 15 out of 30 days, then, you know, 20, 25 days. So it made me, um, I wasn't able to show up for work. I wasn't, um, I had a very lenient boss at that, at this point. And otherwise I'm sure I would have been fired, but I just, I, couldn't work anymore. So I had to quit. And um, then it just became a daily struggle. I I tried to get my 1200 calories of food. I tried to walk my 5000 steps. I I just went back to basics to try and get as healthy as I could. And nothing was working. And then the next thing happened. And what was that? My gallbladder, um, I started having gallstones. And so then my gallbladder was removed in October of 2013. And that was supposed to fix everything. I was, you know, I had the surgery on one day. I thought I'd be back to work on the next Monday. But again, I never recovered. And I was so frustrated because I was up all night searching for answers. And uh, that never came. And by this point, we had switched from you know, Western medicine, and we were now following a naturopathy. And um, I was doing a Myers bag, um, which is basically an infusion of vitamins, right? And all of a sudden, I started having a seizure. And then I was I started throwing up and I was moaning. And so of course, we beelined it back to the hospital. And I had sludge in my common bile duct. So this was Christmas Eve of uh, 2014. 
2013, pardon me. And so I had an ERCP and then I was discharged on the 28th of December. I came back the very next day. I finally had a fever, 37.9. I know it's bizarre to be celebrating a fever, but I never get fever. So finally I had something clinical to show them. Yeah. And, uh, which so is I, still not super high, yeah. <laughs> it's just like borderline high. <laughs> right? And, uh, so they, they took me seriously, which was awesome. Um, so that time again, they never really used the word sepsis. They called it transaminitis. So my liver enzymes were through the roof. Um, and they still couldn't figure out why this was happening. Um, and then they put the onus on me and they brought in a psychologist to uh, sit down with me and they thought that somehow I was psychosomatic and I was making this happen through the power of my brain. And it was just dumbfounding to me. Um, and I was in the hospital for 18 days um, over Christmas and New Year's 2013, 2014. And again, I was discharged without anything you know um i followed up with the gastroenterologist he saw no reason as to why i couldn't recover um and he basically kind of washed his hands of me didn't want to deal with my struggles anymore so i was kind of on my own i'm like okay well this is this is my new life and i'm just gonna have to deal with it the best i can um when people um it was very hurtful to me to think that i was having clinical medical sepsis issues a that weren't being addressed but then to have the the medical community think that i was causing this um i just kind of surrendered and okay maybe i do need some mental health help and so that was my next pursuit um and I've been, there's a lot of trauma that goes with having these incidents and, you know, not being believed. And um, anyways, I, I gained a lot of strength through my counselor and then I got sick again. <laughs> so then this is now July of 2019 and I'm in the hospital and they're uh, I was really lucky in having a clinical teaching unit that was looking after me because I think, you know, you've got, you've got these young doctors and they're still inspired and they want to look at everything. And I had this wonderful doctor and I just love him and I, and I hope he's doing well, but he just, he was there. He was there for me morning, noon and night. And, um, you know, this, the last um, episode of sepsis was from the flu. So now that we're living in this COVID age, I am very, very cautious. I'm very aware that, you know, severe COVID, you know, enacts a a severe sepsis response. And so I'm very, very wary. Yes, I, 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 I agree. I have a, I have a personal experience with that as well, because our sepsis was caused from group A strep. So the same bacteria as strep throat. 
So I I can empathize with that as well with you on uh, on the COVID front. Um, and so tell us a little bit about how your life is now, now that we're 2021, so two years and a little bit after your last experience with sepsis. I would say after the bizarre part, I don't, I don't know where this came from. Um, 2014, I thought life was over as I knew it. Um, the end of 2016, I had been invited. I was in a disco band way back in my 20s. And we were having our 20-year uh, reunion show. And the guys asked me if I would come. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll come. But I just, I don't know what my capabilities will be. I hadn't been able to sing. You know, emergency intubation isn't exactly gentle on your vocal cords. So I was having trouble getting my voice back. I had trouble with my stamina. I just didn't know I had the endurance to do like a, a three-hour show. And... Um, Somehow, um, I had two other singers to do the show with me in case I couldn't. And we did the show and it was awesome. And then there was a gentleman from an indigenous band, um, I'm Métis, and uh, he was in the audience that night and he asked me to join his bands. And uh, they're called Eagle and Hawk in Indian City. And... I said, sure. And I, I guess maybe just the power of positivity, it just, it carried me through. And, you know, I was able to go rehearse. My, my day was basically, I would get up, I would walk, I'd come home, I'd do my vocal training, I would re rehearse the material. And that, just having that cycle, having that purpose kept me going. And then when I got sick in July of 2019, um, I was like, oh, it's over. And I was so sad because, you know, I had a show at uh, the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. Um, coming up in two weeks. And I'm like, oh, if I get better, maybe I can go. And I, I asked my doctor and he said, I don't see why there's any reason why you can't go. So I was... Canada Day, I was in Winnipeg playing with a symphony orchestra. July 19th, I'm in the hospital, possibly dying. And then two weeks later, I'm in Washington, D.C. singing. You know, it was just miracle upon miracle upon miracle. Um, but since then, the migraine has completely taken over. I'm now, I think it's like 1,190 days of migraine um yes i've always had migraine i have a feeling that this migraine is just part of something that we're now learning that's called post sepsis syndrome mm -hmm. um yeah it's, it's 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 all tying in i don't know how i don't think anybody knows how um but we're we're learning as we go and that's why i'm so happy to be here yeah i'm thankful to have you here and and to share your story and and you know, and, and give hope. I think, you know, your story is remarkable and, and to, to be able to sit here and, and talk after, you know, not one, but three times. Um, it, it takes a lot of courage to come and, and share 
and and have the strength to share that after three times and and still have the will to to share and to to keep going after three times of being sick like that because that's a I mean a critical illness like that is is an awful thing to go through um and and I and and I know what that's like uh yeah. and 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 I'm really thankful that you were you know, you were willing to share your story um, because I, and the patient voice is so, so important in, in the research that is being done, especially around the post-sepsis piece, because I think um, as we're learning and, and I bring this up in every single episode that we're doing uh, is with this long, um, this long hauler syndrome with, with COVID and and there's so many parallels between post sepsis syndrome and post covid syndrome and you know i i really really hope that this will bring some light to uh what so many post sepsis patients have are experiencing and have been experiencing uh you and i have uh a lengthy journey with this similar length of time I'm 2014 you're 2013 um with the s- symptoms that we've been experiencing and um and my daughter's been experiencing and I think that this is you know the more stories that we can share uh the more research hopefully that can be done and the more people that we can help that are experiencing the same things that we are. Absolutely. Uh, I think the one of the troubling things is no one really discussed sepsis with me. I didn't go home with things to look out for. I didn't go home with knowledge of what the after effects of sepsis are. So, you know, as you're learning and I'm learning, yeah, it's a thing. Mm. <laughs> and it's... Uh, it's heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so many aspects to it, right? There's the physical piece, but then there's the, um, the emotional, mental piece to it. And, uh, and sometimes that's a lot more difficult to, to manage than, than, than the physical piece, right? And mm-hmm. so they go part and parcel with one another. And if you can't manage one, you can't manage the other, unfortunately. So... And, and and it is unfortunate that there isn't enough education with not only just patients, but with the healthcare providers. And it's important that we look at, and there is work being done right now around discharge material for patients, but also for healthcare providers around post-sepsis discharge materials. And I'm hoping that it's not just a provincial um, piece of documentation, but a, a national documentation that is adopted uh, across all healthcare providers, so that patients have the proper um, discharge pathways available to them, so that they don't experience the same things that you and I have. That would be amazing. And, you know, just keeping it to the current news. I mean, Bill Clinton, 
Mm-hmm. You know, the U.S. president just just got out of the hospital from having sepsis from a UTI. Mm-hmm. Like it's so common. Yeah. But yet there's so little known about it. It just blows my mind. Yeah. And sepsis needs to be common language. That word needs to be a common word. Yes. And the more education that we have out there, the we can lessen the burden on not only the healthcare system, but patients themselves and their families. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So I really, really appreciate your your you coming today to tell your story. And uh we're we're hope we're gonna be able to share a clip of your your voice. And so I'm really excited for that. So you can everybody can stay tuned to listen to that at the end of the the podcast episode. But if there's anything that you want to share, if there's one piece of advice you'd love to share with anybody that's listening today, whether that's a healthcare provider, because we're going to have healthcare providers, researchers, clinicians, patients, what would that be, Shannon? Well, I got kind of two things. One, I wish I was healthy enough. I wish I had the brain power to go back to school. And I I had started off as an RN and uh, I would love to get back into the field, uh, you know, seeing all of our medical professionals, you know, working so hard during this COVID epidemic. I, I wish I could join the fight. However, I am not able, I accept that. So I wish to serve and I'm just feel so blessed and so privileged to be sitting here and speaking with you uh, you know, if there's anything further that you need from me, I'm so happy to oblige. I, I just appreciate so much being here. Thank you. Well, thank you so, so much. And it was a pleasure to speak with you today. It was a pleasure speaking with you, Christine. Thank you. On the next episode of the Action on Sepsis podcast, I am joined by Dr. Bob Hancock, professor in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at the University of British Columbia, as well as registered nurse with a master's in nursing, Sarah Carrier, from the BC Patient Safety and Quality Council, where we will have a robust discussion about the reoccurrence of sepsis in some patients, innovative early diagnostic tools currently in development, and the importance of the patient voice to improve patient safety when it comes to severe illness like sepsis. That's this week's episode of UBC's Action on Sepsis podcast. We thank the brave sepsis survivors that have come forward to share their stories, our review panel that includes physicians, clinicians, researchers, and our patient advisors. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit subscribe to keep up with the latest episodes and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Let us know what you think about this week's topic and join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. You can also check out our blog for resources and links to topics on this episode at sepsis.ubc.ca slash podcast.